Now it's time for the Disney View podcast. Please move across your car to make room for everyone. Our podcast will begin momentarily. Join Dave as he makes his Grand Circle tour around the Walt Disney World Resort. Dave is a dreamer and an engineer who enjoys the magic and wonder of it all, but understands Disney's place in history and respects the legacy that's been left. Come along and hear Dave's thoughts about Walt Disney World and see it through Dave's eyes. Please stand clear of the podcaster. Por favor, mantenganse alejado del David. And now, here's your host. Hey everyone, it's Dave. Welcome to another edition of Dave's Disney View Podcast. Well, from time to time, I'd like to put together a podcast that answers some of your questions about Disney planning, Disney World in particular, and general things about Disney topics. If you send me an email, I will always respond to it. I have no issues with responding to people about questions about Disney. Sometimes I can answer them, and I may direct you to someone else. I admit that I don't know everything, especially when it comes to resort stays and when things are released and things like that. But generally speaking, I can at least point you to someone else or somewhere else where someone might be able to answer your question. So over time, I answer the questions, but once in a while, I like to put together a podcast to help people that may have similar types of questions. Remember, you can always send me questions to davesdisneyview at gmail.com. I'm always happy to answer them, always happy to hear from fans and listeners, and uh, it's a great experience. It's fun to be interactive and a part of the Disney community. So the first question came from a guy named Andy. He asks if it's possible for someone to ride up front in the monorail. I seem to remember uh, that I did this when I visited about five years ago, and I wondered if you still could. Well, Andy, unfortunately, the short answer is that no, you can't anymore. Not at Walt Disney World, anyway. So the story goes that uh, a few years ago, there was the monorail accident, where unfortunately a uh, driver, a pilot, was uh, killed in the accident, and there were two monorails that collided. And the uh, NTSB, the National Transportation Safety Board, did come in and investigate and ruled that Disney was negligent on a couple of counts and uh, had some rule changes that Disney uh, put into place to uh, make sure that this type of thing doesn't happen again. Now, Disney had a number of lockouts and safety features, and it was a confluence of events that caused the accident to happen, and it's really kind of a shame that it did. But the net result is that the NTSB suggested more oversight of Disney and their monorail system, and as a result, Disney changed the classification of the Walt Disney World monorail from an attraction to a public-use transportation vehicle. And that means that it has to abide by the same rules as, say, a bus, an airplane, or anything else like that, and that means that you will never be able to ride with the pilot up front again. And it's unfortunate, but it makes a lot of sense, and it does introduce the safety factor for guests to make sure that they stay safe, and, uh, you know, there's, a, there's some other things that happen there. And uh, so, ostensibly, Disney did this to try and prevent more oversight into their operation, but uh, the reality is that it, it actually made a lot of sense and keeps guests out of harm's way. Now, of course, you can, uh, you can always take a picture of the monorail, and once it's parked in the station, you can always talk to the cast member about the potential to take a picture up front or anything like that, but you can't ride up there. And now, in Disneyland, the story's a little bit different because it was always classified as an attraction, and it's not used for public use, and it's not used for public transportation because it doesn't take people from, say, one place to another as the only means or one of a couple of means to get there. So the monorail in Walt Disney World actually goes from the Transportation and Ticket Center to the Magic Kingdom, so basically from where you park to where you go into the Magic Kingdom. 
So it is a public use vehicle. Whereas in Disneyland, it is still an attraction because it is just a ride around the, the park. So essentially, they were able to. So Disneyland was able to leave the classification as it was, and the good news is, if you happen to go to Disneyland, you still can ride up front. So that's kind of cool. So if you want to have the experience of riding up front in the monorail, Andy, you could go to Disneyland and you can still get it. Next question comes to us from someone named Barbara. She asks if there's a transportation map that's available. And then second to that, how easy is it to use Disney transportation to get around? And how long do I have to wait for a bus? Okay, let's break this down a little bit. There are several maps available. Disney produces some maps to tell you how to get from point A to point B. There's some clever ones out there that kind of just help you to figure out which route you should take to get from one point to another. But there's another really cool site out there. This guy created a New York City subway-style map of Disney transportation that tells you how to get from one point to another and which modes of transportation offer that service. It's really pretty clever, and uh, I think it's a really good tool. And it, as a planning tool, it's really helpful because then you can think about, oh, how do I get from, say, Epcot to the Magic Kingdom? And you could, fo- you could follow through and figure it out. There are some places that are connected by waterways that you may not think about, so there's certainly some ways to get around that way, and that's included on the map as well. So I highly recommend using that. I'll put a link to it in my show notes page so you can see what it looks like and uh, see how to get from point A to point B as you do your planning in advance. Of course, you can always uh, look at the uh, Disney websites. They do some things on there to kind of help, and there's some other sites online that can kind of help you guide a little bit about how to get from point A to point B. And of course, once you get there, you can always ask a cast member. On a recent trip, I was actually trying to have a little fun with it and going from point A to point B, and every once in a while, the bus routes will change. They'll move a bus from here to there, or they'll take a route off offline and move it somehow. And there was at least one time when I was leaving Epcot and I wanted to get to the Magic Kingdom, and I knew the monorail was going to take another 20 or so minutes before it came around, and I asked the cast member, is there a bus I can take from the Epcot entrance to the Magic Kingdom? And he stopped, and he thought about it carefully for a minute, and he had to, he had to really consider it. And he goes, no, the only way to get there is to take the uh, monorail over to the uh, Magic Kingdom. And then I asked, well, is there a bus that can get me from, say, Epcot to the Contemporary? Because I know that I can walk from the Contemporary to the Magic Kingdom. And he goes, nope, there isn't currently one. You'd have to take the monorail over to the Transportation and Ticket Center and then take the, the, the monorail to the Contemporary to get there. So no real help there. But... You never know, because the bus routes do change from time to time, as do the other transportation methods. So sometimes it never hurts to ask, and that's the way I kind of see it. How easy is it to use the transportation to get around? It's actually fairly easy and fairly convenient. Most of the stations are well-marked, and they'll tell you exactly where the buses are, or the watercraft are, or where they're going. And if you ever have any questions about it, or aren't sure, just like I was... Go ahead and ask a cast member. There are plenty of cast members around to ask, and they usually know the answers or can help you find an answer if they're not sure. So it's generally pretty easy to get around. You just have to ask questions once in a while when you don't see the result right in front of you. When you walk up to the uh, bus terminals there, like at Epcot, you walk out and there's, there's actually a big sign that tells you each one of the bus stops and where that bus is going to go. Now, occasionally... You'll be waiting for a bus, and another bus will pull up, and they'll go, yeah, we're going to there, and we're going to this other place, so go ahead and get on the bus. So sometimes you can just ask the cast member who's driving the bus, too, and they'll tell you. It kind of works out pretty well, and sometimes it kind of goes back and forth, and you're never really sure which one to take. I wanted to take a uh, transportation, uh, I wanted to take a launch from the Magic Kingdom to the Wilderness Lodge, 
And uh, typically it's a small boat that comes along, and this time it was a bigger boat. And they said, yeah, we're going to stop at the Wilderness Lodge and at Fort Wilderness. And then another, a minute later, another boat came up that was only going to the Wilderness Lodge. So just by asking and hanging around for a minute, you can get some good answers and figure out where you need to go. Most cast members are really helpful anywhere, and it's always fun to talk to them. It's just one of those things. You just go up and you have a quick conversation, and you learn a lot, and you have a little fun with it. How often do they come around? Well, here's the fun part. Right now, buses and most watercraft are on a schedule to come about every 20 minutes or so. Sometimes it's a little bit longer, but it's about every 20 minutes. They try and make it so that it's a little bit shorter than 20 minutes on the order of 15, but it doesn't always work out like that because of traffic and whatever. The thing that Disney is doing is trying to continually improve their transportation system to make it easier to get from point A to point B. So what they're working on is a system to use the magic bands to actually figure out what the demand is like at a particular bus station, and dispatch a bus, if that's appropriate, to help move the people around a little bit more so that your wait time goes down. So say, you know, like 20 or 30 people come up and they're waiting at the bus station at, say, the Coronado Springs Resort. And you're there, and uh, suddenly there's a bunch of people, and you're all milling around the stop for the Magic Kingdom. Well... If they look at the data, they can see that most of the people are waiting to go to the Magic Kingdom. They can look and see the bus is at least 15 minutes off, and they have another bus that's available, so they could put it on the route, and it could be there in 10 minutes, and they can improve the throughput and get another bus there sooner and get people to their destination quicker. So that's what they're looking at, is those types of transportation improvements where they could use the Magic Band to help decide how to best utilize the buses and get them around to different locations and get people to where they want to go. Now, generally speaking, Disney says, allow an hour of transit time between point A and point B. Sometimes it's a lot shorter than that. Many times I've been there where I've gone to distant locations, and it really doesn't take the full hour. You get there, the bus is already waiting, or it just comes within a minute or two, and then maybe it's a 15 or 20 minute ride. You know, the entirety of Disney World, because of the way the roads are laid out, even though it's a large size, you know, 28,000 acres or whatever, it still only takes a short time to go from one edge of the property to the other. So while they say allow an hour, you know, you, you can kind of guesstimate that it's going to be a little bit under an hour. And depending on how close things are, sometimes it's going to be a little shorter. If you do a little homework ahead of time, sometimes it's a little bit easier because you can kind of figure out what other destinations are close so you can group things together and kind of go a different way. And you think about if I wanted to get to um, Mickey's Backyard Barbecue, let's say, which is in the back part of Fort Wilderness. I could take a bus from the Magic Kingdom to Fort Wilderness, then I have to take another bus to get to the back part of Fort Wilderness. But instead, I could take a launch, which is basically a watercraft, from right out in front of the Magic Kingdom and go right over to the back side of Fort Wilderness and be right there in front of Mickey's Barbecue. So, you know, if you think about it and you think about where your destination is, you can save yourself some time in the transportation if you really kind of thought it through. So just something to consider when you think about your, your trip and how you're going to get around. Megan asks a good question, what do I do with my magic bands after my trip? The short answer is, you can keep your magic bands. You could throw them away if you want to, but the batteries in them are expected to last anywhere from 5 to 10 years. So if you get a magic band today, and you go on your trip this week, you could keep it, and the next time you go on a trip, say you go on a trip next year, you could use the same magic band. Now if you're booking a vacation package, they will offer you another magic band to go with the new vacation package. But you can link up your old band to it so that you can use it again anyway. So there's lots of opportunities to kind of reuse the magic bands. They don't disable them. They don't do anything with them. You can just use them again the next trip or not use them at all and keep them as a souvenir. Or 
you could basically color code them and use different colored bands every day of the week if you wanted to. So you could maybe over the course of a couple of years, you could have collected a couple of bands and reused them. Now, as far as I know, and if anyone has any different information, please let me know. As far as I know, you can also take that magic band and you can apply it to someone else. So let's say in my case, I have an annual pass, so I have a magic band and I've had one for several years now. And I buy my son a uh, single day pass. Let's just go with that. And so that doesn't come with a magic band. I could take that magic band and apply it to his account so that he can use that magic band for his account, basically reusing it in that sense. It's like buying a new magic band, basically, and reusing it in that way. So there are different ways you can use the magic bands. They're not necessarily throwaway, though they are throwaway. You can reuse them in different ways and uh, kind of come up with ways to use them or be colorful or just create a collage of different bands on your different trips. Some people will certainly just go ahead and use them and uh, use them the one time and then leave them at home the next time. And that's an option as well. Something else I just wanted to, uh, to call out, I kind of mentioned this in passing, but I wanted to make sure I called it out. If you're not staying on Disney property at one of the resort hotels and you're not using an annual pass, you don't get a magic band with your tickets. So if you just go in and say buy a three-day pass, you don't automatically get a magic band. You can purchase one for $13 and then use that if you want to. And that's why I suggest reusing a magic band from a previous trip if you wanted to do that sort of a thing of using buying another three-day ticket and using a magic band. You can apply it to that because you already have the band in your possession. Now, if you don't get a magic band because you happen to be uh, buying like a three-day ticket and they just give you the RFID card, that will work as well. You don't need the magic band for admission. You just use the RFID. You tap that against the, the uh, little pole and then you put your finger on and it will grant you admission the same way. That's just the way it goes. Now, it always works out okay. Uh, things, things seem to work. I don't really love my magic band. When I went this last time, I was there for three days with my son. And uh, one of the days, I actually forgot my magic band. I left it in the hotel room. So I just forgot to put it on. And I, but I had the card with me, so that was fine. And I was able to use the card to get in the, in the parks. And he only had a card. He didn't have a magic band, so he was, he was using that to get around. And it worked out just fine. There was really no issues. There was no reason that we had to have a magic band. Now, the Magic Band itself is tied to other things like your, uh, your account, your, your photo pass. Um, you can do some charging with it and so forth. So it is important to have if you want to use those types of things. And you would want to have a Magic Band if you're going to be doing that type of thing. And uh, everyone in your group, if they have one, then you can tie all those accounts together. And it's, it's easier to collect all your pictures and book your fast passes and so forth. So it is kind of helpful to have it, but you don't have to have it. You can certainly get around without it and just use the, uh, the card itself. Got a question from Marge who says, I'm going to Disney World soon, but I haven't planned anything yet. I know generally what I want to do and what parks I want to go to, but haven't made any advanced dining reservations. I'm also going to be there in October, but haven't purchased any party tickets yet. From reading things online, I know that a lot of people don't do this. They book everything well in advance, but I'm curious about your thoughts on it. Should I be planning more or should I just wing it? That's a great question. You know, I'm a, I'm a local, so my basic premise is I wing it. I like to wing it. I like the spontaneity of it all. I like the way you can kind of let your day kind of evolve. And you never really know what's going to happen. And sometimes you start in one park and maybe you end in another park. That's just the way I like it. And uh, once in a while, I'll plan some fast passes, especially if it's something that I know that it's going to be a long wait, or I will try and catch it at a time when I know that the wait is going to be a little bit shorter. But that's the only planning I do. And sometimes I'll have advanced dining reservations because I think that uh, sometimes the restaurants are hard to get into. But most restaurants will take a walk up. And if you're going at a time when there's 
a lower crowd, so October is generally a pretty good time for this. You can go ahead and just walk up to most kiosks or plan it same day and try to get into the, the uh, locations you want. Sometimes being a little flexible is helpful, so if you're, say, over in Hollywood Studios and you really want to dine at the uh, Sci-Fi Dine-In Theater and there's nothing available and you go up at 11 o'clock and you talk to them and they go, oh, no, there's nothing, you could try over at, say, Mama Melrose's which is maybe not the same, but, you know, it's, the food is good, and it's a nice sit-down restaurant, it's air-conditioned, it's pleasant, you know, so you can go there and, and do something else. And sometimes that's kind of fun anyway, because you never know what'll happen. A lot of times you get lucky and you go, go in somewhere. If you walk up to a restaurant at a little bit of an off time, so go a little early for lunch or maybe a little late for lunch, sometimes you'll have a little more luck in getting in. Uh, you just walk up and you're nice and you just walk up and ask, and sometimes you get lucky and you'll just be able to get seated almost right away because it's at an off time. You know, a lot of people like to eat between like 11.30 and say 1.30. So if you get there at 11 when they open, sometimes you can get a seat right away. If you get there maybe, say, after 1, sometimes it works out. So you kind of have to plan around that a little bit. Uh, sometimes I'll just walk by and I'll ask how busy it is, and I'll just, you know, I'll talk to the cast member for a minute and see what it looks like. And, you know, sometimes they'll let you book something in advance while you're standing there, and sometimes they'll go, nope, it's fine. You can, you know, you can come back in an hour and see where we are. Just by talking to people, you get a lot. You can get a lot out of them. You can get uh, information and find out what time things are available. And it works out pretty well. As far as planning uh, fast passes, I, I think I said um, one of the things is you can just go ahead and plan it as you go. Uh, you can do the fast passes for the same day as you're in the park. And sometimes, especially in the Magic Kingdom, if you go over to attractions that typically require a fast pass either during the parade or very late in the day, just before park closing, you can get on a ride on an attraction you really want to without having a long wait. So those things work out pretty well. You know, if you want to be an Uber planner, if you're the kind of person who likes to plan and gets a little uptight or nervous about not getting to do something you want to do, then I would go ahead and plan it. Or maybe you go ahead and plan a couple of things. Like I said, maybe if you wanted to ride Toy Story Midway Mania or Soren, those kinds of things that the Fast Passes or the Seven Dwarfs Mine Train. Or if you have a child with you and maybe they want to see Anna and Elsa, I would recommend going ahead and doing Fast Passes for those things and let the rest of the day flow around you. That's my take on it. So, you know, maybe you pick one or two things that are important to you and you get, make sure you get Fast Passes for those and everything else, you let happen. That's my take. And I hope, you, uh, hope that helps you a little bit. Oh, and one last thing for you, Marge. If you're going to, like, Mickey's Not-So-Scary Halloween Party, because you said October, or if you were going to Mickey's Very Merry Christmas Party, in those cases, you would want to get those tickets in advance. Now, on a typical night, you know, like, say, on October 15th, which is two weeks away from Halloween, and I think that's on a Thursday this year, you might be able to get tickets for it a couple of days in advance, maybe even the same day, because it happens to be a Thursday, and people really want to be there for Halloween, so they might come a little later, so you might get lucky. But if you want to be sure, I would go ahead and book the tickets in advance. Joanna says, we're getting married in October and honeymooning in Disney. What are some of the things we must do? Thanks in advance and love the show. Joanna, thank you. I always appreciate getting feedback about my show, so thanks. And congratulations on your impending nuptials. Uh, mazel tov, congratulations, felicidades, whatever you want to say. Um, that's great. I hope you guys have a great, uh, great time at your wedding, planning your wedding, and your honeymoon should be fantastic. So let's think about this for a minute. If you're going to be there, as I mentioned as part of the answer to the previous question, you might want to consider going to Mickey's Not-So-Scary Halloween Party. It's always a fun way to spend a little time, and you and your new husband may really enjoy just kind of going around and having some fun and seeing the parade and whatever. But as far as honeymooning things, you know, you want to make a couple of really special dinner reservations for yourself. I think that's really an important thing to kind of enjoy it and just find some special things you want to do. Find a, find a nice place to, uh, to watch the fireworks from. Maybe you can get a fast pass for it so you can see it from a special place. 
maybe you uh, dine at the top of the world um, on top of the contemporary. The fireworks from up there are really something. It's really fun to watch from up there. And if you're dining, it's a great experience. They turn down the lights, they pipe in the music. It's a really special moment. I really think that's a good way to go about it, and you could certainly do that. There are a couple of uh, premium things that they offer, that Disney offers. You could go for a carriage ride. One place to do that is over at Fort Wilderness. They offer a, a carriage ride every evening, or most evenings anyway. If you just check in advance, you could go and take a carriage ride and have a little fun that way. You could also um, rent one of the boats. There are several different types of boats you could rent. You could rent a, a specific um, type of slow sailing, maybe a catamaran or a, um, a speed boat if you like. And you could go out and just have a little fun on the, on the uh, Seven Seas Lagoon in Bay Lake and just go around a little bit. Or they offer several different options for like uh, private fireworks crews. So you could go out and you could have a little fun on a cruise where you're watching the fireworks from the Seven Seas Lagoon and they'll offer either appetizers or dinner or something. Yeah, there's a little price tag associated with it, but it's a nice way to kind of remember part of your honeymoon that way. So I would recommend that as an option, um, something that you probably want to think about doing. And since you're going to be there in October, one thing I, I like to recommend is going to Epcot's Food and Wine Festival. It's very much like a Food and Wine Festival anywhere else in the world, but it's got that Epcot touch to it. And it's really kind of fun, and you can order some nice food and get a little drink and have a little fun and uh, just go around and kind of enjoy yourselves and, and feel like you're traveling the world in some way. There's something kind of neat about that. Uh, it's just really special to be able to do that. There's lots of other options, too. If you want to plus your experience to some degree, you can call an authorized Disney travel agent like my friend Shannon and get some help there with uh, planning your Disney vacation so that way you have some special amenities waiting for you. There is a Disney florist on site. You can certainly order flowers for the rooms that, so that it's really set up nicely for you. You can also order other things to be in the room, too. But you can really set it up so that it's really special. The one other thing I'll tell you, and it's something that I've said a lot of times for a lot of different questions, make sure that people know you're celebrating. Go ahead and get the bride and groom Mickey Mouse ears and wear a button that says that we're honeymooning. Have some fun with it. Make sure that everyone knows. When you book your, when you book your hotel, make sure you tell them. When you check in, tell them again. When you make your dinner, dining reservations, tell them. When you check in there, tell them again. Just make sure that everyone knows. It makes the experience that much more special. Not everyone will go over and above and above and beyond to, to celebrate it with you, but most cast members will because they like celebrating those experiences with people. The cast members are there to make the magic happen for you, for, to make it come alive, to make it real. And in working with them, they will help you absolutely to do little things to make it that much better. So I always recommend just tell people. Just make sure they know so that they... they celebrate it with you. It's like a giant celebration in some ways. You know, you're wearing the button that says it's our honeymoon and they're going to walk up to you and go, Hey, congratulations. And they'll do different things with you. You could also make sure you set up, um, set up some time with photographers around different parks and different places to get some really great pictures of you guys. Uh, as you go through, you know, they could be, you know, they could be the more or less candid ones where you've got the, the uh, photographer kind of at, at locations they already are. You can grab someone and say, Hey, could you take a picture of us over here? Or you can also set up, set it up in advance so that you do a photo session where you do it at a studio. It's, you know, where you hire the photographer to come out and take pictures of you. You know, I recommend going the first, the first route, the, the former of those, where you just go out to the spots they already are and get them to take pictures of you. You'll get some great pictures that'll really make it memorable. So that would be my take. I mean, those would be all the major things I would do. I'm sure there's a lot of other little things that you could do and, you know, other fun things that you can get involved in um, that I think will make the whole thing ex an experience. But I really just hope you have a wonderful trip and just enjoy yourselves and start your life off on a great foot being Disney fanatics. 
Next up, Christopher asked me, what are your top three favorite places to eat at Walt Disney World? Christopher, that's a great question. And actually, there are several places that I really like. In no particular order, because I really can't put an order to these, I would say I really like the Flame Tree Barbecue over in the Animal Kingdom. It's a fun place to eat, and I really like the smoky flavor of it, and there's a couple of barbecue sauces that go with the uh, different dishes they serve. So that one's really good. I like the Tangerine Cafe over in Epcot that's in the Morocco Pavilion. Really good food, uh, nice assortment, good fresh stuff. Their couscous salad is good. Their hummus is good. Their shawarma is good. It's, it's hard to pick a bad meal there, no matter what you pick. It's just really tasty. I also like the Sci-Fi Dine-In Theater over in the Disney's Hollywood Studios. Now, I'm not going to say that I really love the food there, because the food is really just okay, maybe above average. But what I really like there is the theming. I love sitting in the car and watching old, classic, silly sci-fi movies on a big screen. So it's almost like you're at a drive-in. It's really pretty good, and the, if you're there on a good day when the cast members are really interactive, they'll be playing along with the stuff on the screen and having some fun with it. And it really does make for a fun experience. And the lights are low, and you know, like I said, the food's pretty good, so it's a, an entertaining time anyway. And then finally, over in the Animal Kingdom Lodge is the All-You-Can-Eat Buffet Boma. So the entire buffet is African-themed, but you'll recognize a lot of the dishes. There's soups, there's salads, there's carved meats, there's usually boboti, which is the um, African meat pie with a cornbread stuffing on top, sort of. I don't even know how to describe it. There's usually some sort of fish. There's uh, a ton of desserts. And then there's some sides and other things that really kind of help fill in with some interesting dishes. Now, I like it for dinner. I've tried it for breakfast as well, but I really like the dinner there. It's really pretty good. It's a very nice place to eat. I enjoy it thoroughly. So those would be my top four. How about that? I gave you one extra one that I really like eating in somewhere in Walt Disney World. Now, that's not to say there aren't other places. And sometime in another podcast, I'll have to count them down for you, some of the best places to eat. And there you go. Carrie asks a question. I'm moving to Florida soon, and I'm thinking about getting an annual pass for Disney, but I see several different types of passes that are available. There's the annual pass, there's the seasonal pass, there's the weekday select pass, and then there's the premium annual pass. What's the difference? And if I purchase one or purchase a multi-day ticket, can I switch to something else later? Okay, good question. So Florida offers several different types of passes. The seasonal pass is obviously at various seasons. There are some blackout dates that you can't go to the parks. It basically means that you can go all spring and all fall and all uh, pretty much all winter, but you can't go over the major holidays. They basically black out all the major holidays so you can't go to the park. But the rest of the year you can go in. The annual pass allows you to go in at any time during the year uh, where you can go and come and go from the parks as much as you want to. On any, on any day. And then the premium annual pass adds a few other features and allows for free parking. Otherwise, you have to pay for parking. The weekday select pass is, is essentially like the seasonal pass, except that you can't go in on the weekends. You, you can only go in, as the name implies, on weekdays. It's another pass that allows you a lot of flexibility, but it has the blackout dates, and uh, you can't go in on weekends. But it's a really uh, versatile pass, especially if you live close by and you just want to be able to go in from time to time. There's also an Epcot after 4 p.m. pass. That's a uh, kind of a special pass that allows you to go into Epcot only after 4 p.m. Some people really get, get a lot out of this because they like Epcot and they like to be able to go to like the Food and Wine Festival and whatnot, but don't really care about going during the day. The answer to your other question is, can you apply the value of what you purchased previously to these? The answer is yes. So if you went out and bought, say, a three-day pass and decided at the end of the third day 
that you wanted to apply it to an annual pass, they will apply whatever you paid for it toward the cost of an annual pass. It has to be before the pass actually expires, so if the, park, if the parks all close at midnight on that day, you would have to have redeemed it and upgraded it before midnight. So that's the way it works. I hope that answered your question about what the different types of passes are. All right, and I think that's, uh, that covers most of the basic questions that I've gotten that I think apply to a broad audience and you guys would like to hear. The only other thing I wanted to add was uh, one little plug for one of the apps that I've got sitting out there, and that's the Press Penny app that I've created for iPhones. The Press Penny app will allow you to find Press Pennies around the Walt Disney World Resort, and then you can actually uh, show that you've collected them by pushing and tapping the screen, and it'll actually add them to your collection. So you have them there. You can add your own if you've already gotten some that aren't on the list and whatever, but it shows you where they are so that you can easily find them and locate them, and you can, uh, you can use that to as you collect pet Press Pennies around the parks. So uh, I just wanted to point that out to you. Also, um, with the Food and Wine Festival coming up, I'm working on a new version of the Food and Wine Festival app that I'll uh, release soon, but just wanted to give you a heads up about that so you'll be ready for it, and you'll be ready to go out and select the foods you want for the Food and Wine Festival. Well, that's it for this week. I hope you've enjoyed it. And remember, if we can dream it, we really can do it. Thank you for tuning in to the Disney View Podcast. We hope you had a pleasant stay and arrive home safely. Please remain seated until your ride vehicle stops completely. Then, gather your personal belongings and step out onto the moving platform. And yes, I know it went by so quickly, but don't worry. One of the nice things about traveling on this podcast is that the journey is just beginning. Show notes are available on DisneyWorldPodcast.net. While there, please check out some of our affiliates. You'll also find links to Dave's iPhone and iPad apps. There's an app for pin trading, one for finding hidden Mickeys, and an app for finding and tracking pressed pennies around the Walt Disney World Resort. And you never know just what Dave is working on next. If you have questions, feel free to drop Dave an email at davesdisneyview at gmail.com. Original music you're hearing in this podcast is Oslo Doom by Gilberto Gil. Of course, this is a fan podcast and in no way affiliated with the Walt Disney Company. 